0: There's a quote from our sermon this past Sunday I want to share. The closer we align ourselves with God's divine design, the healthier and happier our lives will be. The further away we get from God's divine, God's divine design, the more confusing and chaotic our lives will be. That's what we see in Genesis 1, 1, 2, and 3 we see God stepping into the chaos the Holy Spirit descending upon the waters and creating life and design and light and hope out of the chaos the formless void that was present at the time God created organization He created order and purpose. And he does this in everything he touches. He's done it with biology. He's done it with our solar system. He's done it with the earth. And he does it with us. And I want you to know when it comes to emotions, when it comes to mental health, when it it comes to spiritual life if you give it to God he turns it into something great and beautiful and wonderful and orderly and it will be so much better than if you just keep it for yourself I've often wondered or begin wondering since I did this episode since I had this conversation with Luke Dockery that you're going to here today. If if that's what it comes down to, we don't want to give God everything, and there are people who don't want to give up their intimate relationships. They feel something and it it feels good, and so they keep it. But oftentimes the things I keep from God end up in shambles, end up in being wrecked because his design is perfect and my designs are flawed. This episode, you know, it's it's an emotionally charged conversation. It's an emotionally charged topic. And so I sit down with Luke Dockery and we talk about the LGBTQ community. What is it? What it means? What what does God want? What does the Bible say about the subject? How do we address this with friends and strangers and people? And then we get down to the nitty-gritty at the end and we ask, you know, how do we address this with our own kids? What do we do when it's my child? As you you know, it's like everything else. The social media, the the um, Hollywood, the television show, the big screen, the small screen. I mean, good gravy. The friends at school. Everyone in our world seems to glorify this type of community. And this type of lifestyle. But the fact is, it's far from God's design. And with it, chaos tends to ensue. It's a tough one. It's a long one. But this episode's a good one. I hope you enjoy the show. Hey, you're listening to All Things True. I'm your host, Cody B, and I am super excited. For those of y'all who are longtime listeners, you know I often have a joke with the special guest, right? That uh, we scour the world for the best person on the subject and they told us no. They wouldn't come on the show. <laughs> and today, I'm super excited about our guest. Today, we have Luke Dockery with us. How are you, Luke?
1: I'm good, Cody. Thank you for the opportunity to, to be on. Oh Appreciate man!
0: It. I listen. There's so many things I wanted to pick your brain about, um, and and I, I'm excited that that you're on the show and this could be one of them. Um, we, uh, I, I first I first heard Luke speak at, at while well, you at the uh, panel for adults. Uh, I guess that was back in 2015. The first time I heard you, uh, I've I've read several mm. of your books. Um, I've read well. I should say several. I've read a few of your books. I've read a lot of your articles man you just mm. have awesome stuff and <clears throat> well, uh, i go ahead
1: I, I i appreciate that i'm very very humbled to hear you say that um i uh would say that um my my time on those those Q&A panels is some of the most nerve-wracking
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh opportunities of my life but uh yeah. i'm i'm eager to to try to I just consider myself to be a student. I don't think I'm an expert of much of anything, but uh, I like to try to share things that I've learned uh, in a way that can be helpful to other people. So um, hopefully we'll be able to do some of that today.
0: So tell us about yourself for those who don't know Luke Doctor. How long have you been a minister? Where all do you yeah. serve and have you served?
1: Yeah. So um, I'm a, originally from, I'm a youth minister. Um, I'm originally from Fayetteville, Arkansas. That's where I grew up. Uh Go Harding. Yeah, that's right. Uh, though, my goodness, it was kind of rough this weekend. But I um, <laughs> uh, went, to, went to Harding. After Harding, I, I, I actually didn't study youth ministry. I kind of had like a, a long uh, kind of winding journey, but um, pretty much after college, I, I got into youth ministry, even though that's not what I had been studying. And for 13 years, I was the associate minister at the Farmington Church of Christ, which is just outside of Fayetteville. Um, so I was doing uh, associate minister basically means you know youth ministry plus whatever else uh, they they can think of. Um, so I did a lot of stuff, got into like adult education, some other things there too, which are really interesting to me. Um, in 2019, my wife and our family we moved to back to Searcy, uh to do youth ministry at the Cloverdale Church of Christ, and that's where I still am. So we've been here for just a little bit over four years. Um, I also. Uh, for a few years now, have had the opportunity to be an adjunct professor at Harding, where I, also, I teach youth ministry. Um, and so that's been uh, a lot of fun to me because uh, a lot of work and research I've done has been on uh, kind of students walking away from faith after high school and kind of what that looks like. And so it's a blessing to be able to, to teach in a college setting and, and kind of get to work with students who are just a few years down the road um, yeah. and kind of see how, they, how, how that research uh, checks out a lot of times, unfortunately. Um, but it's it's been kind of a helpful, a helpful supplement to my ministry in terms of uh, you know kind of getting to to try out some of the the research and things that I read um, on actual students.
0: Very cool, very exciting. Um, I asked I asked Luke to be on on the podcast for this specific episode, um, and, and what we're going to cover today. For those of y'all who are listening, um, we're we're going to talk about. Uh, our culture, and and probably one of the biggest, most um, good gravy. Uh, What's the best way to phrase this, Luke? Dynamic, but not just a dynamic, explosive topics in our culture right now? Yeah, yeah, for sure, yeah. We're going to talk about the LGBTQ uh, lifestyle, community, and and how it's affecting our youth, and and essentially discuss – you know, what, what do we do when it's, when it's our kids, you know, we, we hear stories. <clears throat> I'll, let me give you an example. Um, I, I was just talking to a friend of mine, just literally just about an hour ago about this podcast and their four-year-old daughter right before dinner one night at their house spoke up and, and talked about this game called goat simulation. You ever heard of goat simulator, Luke? I have not. No, it's I have not. It's a game not. where you run around as a goat. 2D, <laughs> okay. you're basically like a goat in in the old school Mario format. And in this Goat okay. Simulator okay. game, uh, they uh, they saw. She said, "In Goat Simulator, sometimes two men get married and two women get married."
1: Mm. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, just it uh, should be a stupid little innocent game. Yeah, and already his four-year-old daughter has been introduced to the LGBTQ lifestyle. Right. I I had another friend who was a preacher at, at who is, is a preacher at a church, and they had an eighth grader come to their Wednesday night Bible class, and and she told her Bible school teacher that she has a girlfriend, and and she said, oh, like a girl who's your friend, you know, I have girlfriends too, and. She said no, we uh she gave me some flowers and gave me a kiss on the playground today.
1: Mm. hmm Yeah.
0: And it's in our youth groups. I mean, we Yeah. I have another friend who's who's a camp director, and and they had the issue of uh eleven year old girls of the same gender, eleven year old boys of the same gender having crushes on each other and writing writing each other love notes through what they call warm fuzzies.
1: Mm.
0: this isn't going away. There was a time when we could say, well, everybody knows what the Bible says about it, but I don't know that they do, or I don't know if, see, and I worry about people may not care what the Bible says about the subject. And by people, I right. mean our, our own members and Christians and people we go to church with. Right, yeah. So, that's what we're going to be discussing. What do we do when it's our child? What do we do when it's our youth group? What do we do when it's our church? But before we dive into all that, Luke, take us through what does the Bible say about the LGBTQ lifestyle?
1: Yeah, uh, so that's a. I mean, that's a big question, um, and one of the things that I think is challenging about uh, discussions related to this topic is. Uh, just like definition of, of of words, um, yes, and how we define certain things, and even if we say like LGBTQ, well, it's like all all those letters stand for different things, uh, which are which are not the same, um, necessarily. Yes, uh, and so, and it's um,
0: even the letters stand for different things depending on what website you're looking at.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah, and so, so that's challenging. Um, some of these. Some of these things, um, in terms of certain practices, have been around for a long time. The Bible certainly familiar with them. There are other things, I think, that are, are more modern um, in terms of things like having like a certain orientation. Uh, the, the Bible doesn't really talk about those sorts of things so much. It talks more about specific acts, actions, yes. behaviors. Um, so I think it's helpful to, to kind of um, distinguish between those things. Uh, maybe uh, just kind of a, a disclaimer there as we, as we start. Uh, the Bible does talk about some of this stuff. Um, a lot of times, uh, we tend to respond by just kind of throwing out some verses, and mm-hmm. I will do that, um, but I, I don't know that that's the best place to start. Um, a lot Why of times, we kind of. Uh, yeah, no, that's, that's fair. Um, a lot of times, we just kind of come out with prohibitive verses, but mm-hmm. we don't actually establish a positive vision for what God actually intends from the beginning. Yes. Um, and so. Uh, I, I've lived my whole life in Churches of Christ and I love Churches of Christ. Um, and we tend to be, at least historically, we're very biblical, um, but sometimes our emphasis on scripture is kind of like in piecemeal fashion and, and from verses rather than kind of constructing a whole theological picture or argument. Um, and so I, I think that's important that we actually do that first, that we establish kind of kind of God's positive vision and um, unfortunately, and we can maybe get into this more later, but research shows that uh, very religious families are the least likely to talk about these sorts of things with their kids, which is, is kind of highly ironic because we're, we're the ones with the strongest views on it. Uh, and yet research con- consistently shows that, that we don't really talk about it a lot. And a lot of times we don't talk about it much in our churches either, or if we do, it's just by throwing out a few verses um, in a way that maybe is not the healthiest um, as opposed to, uh, I mean, what, what scripture does, uh, and, and by the way, Jesus in his own ministry refers back to what we see established from the beginning. So I think the, the opening chapters of, of Genesis are, are highly instructive, um, in these issues, both related to sexuality and to gender. Um, the, the picture we have from the beginning is that God is the creator of all things. And he looks in, at his, what he's made and he, he calls it good. Uh, we have a very high view of creation and then on, on the sixth day, he uh, creates humanity uh, in Hebrew, Adam, um, in his own image, male and female, both created in his own image. And uh, in Genesis chapter two, we kind of have a, another story. We kind of have two creation narratives in chapter one and chapter two. And some people make a big deal about that. I, I think they're very complementary. Chapter one is kind of a, 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 a thousand foot bird's eye view. And then in chapter two, we kind of zoom in and look closer at, at humanity um, but God creates humanity, calls it very good. It's kind of the pinnacle of His creation. But there's something that's not good, and that is for for uh, humanity to be isolated, to be alone. And so God call, causes Adam to fall into a deep sleep and creates a counterpart for him um, from from his side. Uh, and so we have Adam and Eve, male and female, created both in God's image, created uh, to be complementary to to one another. Um they are they are sexually compatible, they join together, uh th- they are naked and unashamed. And this is kind of the uh, the original picture that we have. And this is and, and this is what Jesus refers back to when he's asked questions about divorce. He says God's intention from the beginning was was this. And so we have uh the affirmation of creation is good. That's right. We have the um the distinguishing between male and female, which are uh, based on biological realities of complementarity, where uh, th- these these two different people can uh, join together, the two can become one flesh, um, and this is kind of the initial picture. And it's right. it's a beautiful picture. It's it's not a shameful thing. It's not something to to uh, be embarrassed about. This is this is God's good creation, and, and this is testified to in other places. I mean, we have. In the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Bible, like the Book of Song of Solomon, is yes. basically a book of like erotic love poetry. Yes, um, which a whole lot of us really don't have categories for how what to do with that, and so we <laughs> we kind of tried to talk about it in different ways. Like, well, maybe this is a an allegory for something else, and and you know, it's like I, I think it I think it could have allegorical interpretation, but we also have to just kind of treat it for what it is on the surface, and that is that um, through the process of the composition and compilation of scripture, God's Holy Spirit thought that we needed this, which, if nothing else, seems to me to be an affirmation of the goodness of God's original intention and design um which
0: I want to of course, plug in here for those of y'all who are new to the show in season one, I did two episodes on um sex education at the church and mm. and also we we did an episode on what does the Bible say about about sex. And okay, we, we great, covered yeah. those topics. We covered uh, just – and I have a lot of new listeners since then. This is season five you're on. Uh, okay. And, and so uh, I want to encourage you, if you're curious about Solomon and what he's saying about full detail, I have Josh Cornell on. He goes into full detail about that. He, he did an excellent job. But but no, no, absolutely. Um, people think when we, we talk about verses about homosexuality and the LGBTQ lifestyle, they – the argument is, you know, there's only six or seven verses. There's only six or seven verses. But when you consider the, the lifestyle and the design uh, that God did say that is good and has established in Genesis, right. in Song of Solomon, there's chapters and books and, uh, on top of chapters and verses. Uh, no, you're still yeah. on, brother. Sorry interrupt. You keep going no, here. no, no, that's good.
1: That's good. I appreciate that context. and That'll be good for people to kind of go back and see more of that. Um, but the basic point is just that, that God, through Scripture, establishes what his vision looks like. And it's not a shameful thing. Uh, like, it's a, a, our, our, um, our sexual difference is a gift from God. It's designed and intended by him. It is meaningful. It is purposeful. Um as is the sexual connection that is a beautiful gift in the right context, which is the marriage relationship between a man and a woman. And this is the picture we see from the beginning. This is also the picture um, that Jesus refers back to um, and reaffirms. So I I would want to say, you know, I would want to start with that kind of establishing that positive vision. Um, But there are passages in scripture that, uh, that talk about, the practice of homosexuality and specifically we're talking about same sex acts. Um, a lot of times you will hear people who kind of, um, kind of talk about these dismissively. They'll call them like clobber passages and, um, you know, it's, it's not my intention to bring these out to, to clobber people with, but, um, yes,
0: I I also refer to them as, uh, we use verses like they're theological trump cards. yeah that's right that's right ace of spades on this subject (laughs) yeah right that's right um
1: so so we don't want to do that but at the same time um like i believe that that the bible is um inspired by god that it's profitable for for doctrine and reproof and correction and training and all of these things that it claims of itself and so i need to take seriously what it says um that's right and just kind of in reference to something you said earlier it's like it I know what to do in terms of, like, if people don't really know what Scripture teaches. Well, it's like we need to teach better. Um, if people don't really care about what Scripture teaches, that's a different sort of problem. And ultimately, yes. um, if, if uh, you don't care about what the Bible teaches, then there's a different sort of conversation that we have, that, that we need to have. We're not in the same place. But if we're having this conversation from a historical Christian perspective, where we value the teachings of scripture, well, we can at least start there. And so uh, we've kind of already done that as as far as establishing kind of the positive vision, but, but there are uh, several places in scripture. I might not cover all of them, but there are several places in scripture that talk about this Um, in uh, in Genesis 19. This is a very controversial passage. Genesis 19, we have the destruction of the city of Sodom Um, there. I, maybe I should say this first. There, there are people today, and there's a growing movement of people that want to argue that the Bible doesn't really condemn homosexuality, at least yes. not as we understand it today. Um, I disagree with that, and I'll talk about that, but, but we should just acknowledge that up front. Like, There's a growing number of people, um, some of them with explicit approval in the official uh, beliefs of certain uh, Christian denominations that would support that. Right. And so there's a a growing number of of people who would claim to be Christians today who would say, you know, the Bible doesn't really condemn this after all. Um, So I disagree with that, but I think it's important that we acknowledge that fact. Um, So Genesis 19 is a good example of this, the destruction of the city of Sodom. Um, People who claim that the Bible doesn't condemn homosexuality will try to argue that the city of Sodom was actually destroyed because... The inhabitants showed a lack of hospitality toward the these kind of mysterious men, angel figures who visit Lot, Abraham's nephew. And so really it's like, I mean, hospitality is a big deal in ancient cultures, and this is what they were condemned for, uh, not homosexuality. And certainly like Sod- uh, Sodom was not a hospitable place. Um, I have no problem acknowledging that. Uh, there's a lot of sins that we see in Sodom, yes. um, things like violence, rape or attempted rape oppression of the poor and needy, according to Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49. And, and yes, homosexuality. Like we have an example here of a practice that is condemned in other places. Um, if you, I kind of joke sometimes, if you were taking a multiple choice quiz about the sins of Sodom, the answer would be like E all of the above. Uh, it was a, it was a wicked place. I don't think we have to fully parse those things, but but we see them engaging or seeking to engage in homosexual practice as if it's just a very normal thing that they did. Um, Homosexuality is also explicitly condemned in the law of Moses, uh, Leviticus 18, 22, and, and chapter 20, verse 13. Um, and it's important to emphasize uh, Jesus when he comes, he says, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Um, Jesus was someone who uh, knew Torah, was obedient to Torah. Uh, certainly, he differed in his interpretations of it compared to some religious traditions that had accumulated over time. And this is part of what, what we see in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, but the law of Moses explicitly condemned homosexual practice. And if Jesus wanted to change that, he would have had to have specifically done so because it would have been an accepted prohibition, if that makes sense. Um, this is just something that all Jewish, you know, faithful Jewish people would have known. And so... Uh, Jesus is just in the, in the same line. And, and again, it's, it's affirmed when he goes back to the creational intent in Genesis. Um, moving on to, to the New Testament uh, more explicitly, the Apostle Paul uh, pretty forcefully addresses the issue of homosexuality in Romans 1, 18 through 32. He includes it in lists of sinful practices in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, and 1 Timothy 1, 8 through 10. Uh, there are some people who will make arguments out there that paul's referring to uh, some other practice in these texts um, and that you know well so the argument goes Paul was unaware of like consensual homosexual relationships like we have today um,
0: that's right
1: but those those arguments are not supported by the Greek that's uh, right. like like there there's there's a um, in in the greco-roman world there's a pretty common practice uh, pederasty where you'd have like a an older man who would take like a a probably like teenage boy who he'd kind of mentor in a lot of ways and would also have like um, homosexual relations with. And Mm. obviously there's, there's um, from a, from a modern perspective, there's real issues of like, you know, could such a relationship be consensual? Is that a form of rape? And so the argument goes like, well, this is what Paul is condemning. But what's interesting is like, Paul would have known what pederasty was. He knew the word for it. And that's not the word that he uses. That's right. Um, he uses a different word and it seems to be a word, um, at least in um, the context of first Corinthians, it seems to be a word that he makes up in Greek uh, by trans translating, transliterating the Hebrew words from the, 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 the prohibitions in Leviticus. Um, it seems like he's using that. He's moving it over into Greek and creating a new word. Um, in continuity with what had previously been prohibited in terms of uh, the law of Moses. And so, um, so really it doesn't, it doesn't work linguistically. And also it's, it's not supported by the testimony of history. Like Emperor Nero was married to another guy at one point. Um, This is not, um, this is not an unheard of thing. And so um, those who want to make the argument that, Oh, what, what we have today was just unknown in the ancient world. Like it's just not accurate historically, or linguistically. Um, And again, sometimes you'll hear people argue that Jesus never specifically mentioned homosexuality, um, but even Mm -hmm. that's inaccurate because he condemns sexual immorality and fornication in different places, which would include any sexual intercourse outside of marriage. And Jesus defined marriage as being between one man and one woman uh, because he goes back to the creational intent.
0: All in that Um, same chapter of Matthew 19.
1: Yeah, that's right. Um, And so... And, and there's other passages we could look at, like there's, there's one in Jude, for example. But but here's the thing. Um, rather, like for people to be like, oh, I can't, I mean, the Bible only has this in like six or seven passages. Like, I'm not sure that that really, like, well, let's pause for a second. Like, what are you actually saying? Um, throughout scripture, in different places, in totally different contexts, uh, culturally, linguistically, um, very different um, periods of development in in the, the the story of scripture we have consistent prohibition on this act um like it's actually a remarkably strong case um like i i, I don't know exactly how many passages we need before we should pay attention to it you know what i'm saying mm, i mean like that's right for, for people who are like oh, there's only seven passages and it's like well well how many do you need um it's seven passages that line up consistently, um, and again, in, in different in different contexts written by different authors. Uh, I, I really believe that if you study the Bible and you're honest about what it says, you have to reach one of two conclusions, and that is that either the practice of homosexuality is wrong or Scripture is wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you can't claim… Really, and and I'm not saying like everyone who claims this is dishonest. I think a lot of it's just based on ignorance. But like when you actually understand the language, you understand uh, the the history, um, you really can't claim that the Bible doesn't condemn the practice because it it does, and it does so consistently. Um, So I I think that's important. Um, I think when we get to conversations related to things like uh, transgender issues, those are more difficult because they are not – Explicitly discussed in the same way, um, but they are still addressed by what we've already talked about, which is the original creational intent, um, where uh, God creates people, male and female, um, and the indication is that it's 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 based on sexual differentiation. Um, And so, so kind of where we're at today, the cultural movement is that um, your biological sex matters less than your own self understanding of your gender identity.
0: Mm.
1: And so if your if your biological sex says one thing, and my own self understanding of my gender identity says another thing, my own self understanding is the trump card. And that's not what we see in Scripture. In Scripture, it is, uh, you know, the basis for this is, like, you are what your biological sex says you are. Um, now, that's not to mean that we, we don't need to have, you know, all sorts of uh, different kinds of pastoral sensitivities we deal with this. But yes, I, I, I do think that we need to be, um, it's very easy to be captive to the prevailing sentiment of our time. And the prevailing sentiment of our time is the truest thing about you is what you believe on the inside. Um, And the reality, like this is is just not what people have believed. It's very much a a, a very modern and even Mm postmodern phenomenon. Um, And I would say it's it's certainly not in accordance with what we see in Scripture, which, again, places um, the identity – On our biological sex. Now that doesn't mean that like everything that modern culture has wrapped up in association with, you know, the male gender or the female gender, that all of that baggage needs to be imported into scripture. I'm not arguing that, but I am saying that scripture um, does emphasize biological difference and the giftedness of that. Like it's good that we're not all the same, Um, but we are different and those differences matter. And they uh, – our, our biological differences cohere with, I, with reality more so than what I believe on the inside of my head about myself, if that makes sense.
0: Oh, yes. Our, our preacher – we're doing a series right now here at Northside, um, and it's, it's, it's Genesis, uh, God's divine design. Mm-hmm. And and we're going through the first 11 chapters and, and we're talking about how, you know, how God's design was perfect and how we messed it up. And, and Jim Gardner said a statement um, a, a few weeks ago. He says, I, me, my feelings, my thoughts cannot be the authority of my life because I as a person am too flawed. Yeah. That if I make myself... And my desires and my wishes and and, and uh, my feelings, uh, the captain of my life, um, it will cause problems for me, and it is not how God designed things.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. Um, it's a dangerous thing when we make ourselves the final authority and arbiter on truth uh, because yes. I mean, I, I'm speaking like for myself now. It's like I'm just aware of how flawed I am. I'm aware of how yes. ignorant I am and at times how stupid I am. Um, and it's like I, I change my my mind on things um, and I just, I just know that I'm not a reliable source for truth on my own, especially if it's coming from my own feelings or emotional response to things. Um, I need something outside of myself that is timeless that I can count on. Um, and ultimately, I think that's, you know, God's will is revealed through, through scripture.
0: That's right. And, and I, I want to say, you know, and this is something I've said a lot on the podcast that the part we've covered so far for me is the easy part. It's, it's yeah. easy for me to yeah. go to, right. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah, easy right. for me to go to the Bible and, and study it thoroughly and, and yep. look at what God's design is versus what God says is best for us versus what God says is bad for us. And, label those things out and in a very beautiful, coherent way, as you have done, Luke. Um, but what's the problem? What do I do when I'm teaching a group of adults or I'm teaching a group of teenagers or I'm in a children's class or I'm in a classroom or I'm having a conversation with someone at my dinner table and and they are a self proclaimed Christian or they're growing up in a Christian household or they're growing up in uh a friends of mine household and they say, Hey, I I think I think I have same sex attraction, hey, I, I think I think I'm a lesbian, I think I'm gay, um, I think I want to be the opposite gender, I think I want to transition. How how do we deal with this in those moments? You know, you yeah. you talked about that story and not pulling out the yeah, trump sure. cards. Yeah. So what? what uh, do we yeah. That's
1: a great question. Yeah. Um, and again, I want to emphasize, like I'm not the expert on this, and so you know, I'm I'm a I'm a learner. Um, the reality is, if you are in ministry, maybe especially if you're in youth ministry, though, it's like you really just can't afford to pretend that this is not a thing. Um, and so, yes. I've tried to I've tried to educate myself. Um, and so I I kinda have maybe a, a multi part answer.
0: That's fine. Um, if you got time, that's I'm fine. Yeah, yeah, part. yeah.
1: Um, I think so I, I think there's several several facets of this. One is yes. like there are people in our churches who are who are dealing with this, who are struggling yes. with this. Just statistically it's like it's a real thing. It's like, well, I don't think it's in my church. Well, like unless your church is a church of like seven and you've talked to all of them, um, that's it's right. it, you you it's, don't it's, know. Yeah, yeah. It's like you, you, or, you don't know,
0: or I, I won't even say you don't know. No, it's it's there. Yeah, it's yeah. there.
1: Yeah, and so, um, but there's still a, a real problem, for example, with things like definitions, mm. and so, um, well, and even before I say that, like how you respond when this happens. Like the the first thing I would say, like we lead with love. We always do. Um, And so we want to emphasize like, well, Hey, like regardless of what you're telling me now, like I love you and that's not going to change. Um, And so there's a lot of, uh, you know, research out there, but also just kind of popular narratives of like people who are totally afraid to share this stuff with their parents or, or people that they love and trust because they're afraid of how they'll be responded to. And so, Uh, We certainly want to lead with love because, you know, that's what Jesus would do. Um, That doesn't mean that you can't share truth, but it means that you you do have to lead with love. Um, There's a a book that I really enjoy on this topic, and I'll I'll probably share some resources later. But um, a book called uh, by Preston Sprinkle, who he does some really good work on on these topics. But the book is called People to be Loved, subtitled Why Homosexuality is Not Just an Issue. I think that sometimes, uh, maybe, oftentimes in the church, our a problem that we've had is that we treat this as like an issue to be solved, um, but primarily these are people to be loved, and it takes wisdom and discernment to work work out exactly what that looks like. But mm-hmm. I, I just want us to lead with that. Like we need to. First and foremost, whoever this person is and whatever their relationship is with me, that they're sharing this struggle that they have, first and foremost, this is someone who was created in God's image like me, um, a mm-hmm. pinnacle of creation whom God loves dearly and whom Jesus came to die for. And so like that just has to be first and foremost in our minds. Um, and so anything we do subsequent to that needs to, co- needs to flow out of that acknowledgment. This is a person that God has placed in my path to love. Now, what does that look like? We'll have to figure it out, but that's the first thing. So what it can't look like is immediately just trying to shut down the conversation, um, dismiss it, say, well, you know better than that. Here's, here's five Bible verses. Um, <laughs> we, have to, we have to lead, lead with love. Um, now, having said that, one way that we do that is by having like really good, earnest conversations where we try to actually understand what the other person's saying. Um, again, the, the, the language and the terminology on this is so elusive Um, So like if if someone tells me like, you know, I'm actually I'm gay. Well, I want to know what they mean by that. Like, do you mean if Mm. if uh, a a guy comes up to me and tells me that, like, do you mean that you're actively engaged in homosexual practice with another male? Um, Because the Bible says that that is not what you should be doing. And we can, we, can, we can talk about those things, um, you know, sensitively, but um, the Bible's pretty clear on that. If what the person means is, well, I'm, I'm actually attracted to people of the same sex. I think this is really important, Cody, and I think we haven't always done a good job with this. Um, like, sometimes people have the, the idea that there's no difference between homosexual attraction and the practice of homosexuality. That's right. And I, th- I think that's just really false. And I, I think, like, there's a huge difference. It's the di- the, the difference between temptation and sin. That's right. Um, the difference between orientation and behavior. That's right. Uh, we, we referenced these verses before, but, like, all of those are about practicing homosexuality, like the physical act of it. And that's a sin, but we need to distinguish that sin that practice from the temptation temptations are not sin. I know that because the Bible teaches that Jesus was tempted in every way as we are, and yet was without sin. So it's not sinful to be tempted. It's sinful to give in to your temptations. Um, and I would just say sometimes in these discussions, I think we get on shaky ground when we try to argue about whether or not people are born with homosexual orientation or whether or not people are born with gender dysphoria, uh, you know, a gender dysphoria, mm-hmm. a, an incongruency between your biological sex and your uh, self-understood gender identity. Um, but honestly, like, if you keep up with the stuff, um, the science is still out on this. Like, scientists don't know. Uh, they yes. argue it both ways. We do know that our genetic makeup greatly influences our lives. But we also know that the environment in which we're raised greatly influences uh, us, Um but I'll be honest with you, like if science came out and definitively said, yes, some people are born with an inclination toward homosexual feelings, that wouldn't really bother me because my experience already leads me to believe that some people are naturally more inclined towards certain temptations than others. Yes. Um, like for hey. those who are for those who are listening, um, for some like the temptation for greed is probably so very high. Um, it's so easy to find yourself thinking about how you can get more money more possessions for others maybe the temptation to gossip is so strong uh when when you find out information about someone maybe a brother or sister in christ it's such a struggle to not gleefully pass that on um for others the temptation of drunkenness or lust is a strong one while others might not feel that at all so no and
0: and we see that for those who are listening sorry to interrupt you can yeah no go ahead yeah Uh, we see those patterns if you remember um when we did episodes for those who are listening um for a while, when we did the episodes on on addiction and, and addiction recovery, uh, we mm-hmm. talked about the genetic link between uh, our our genes and alcoholism. Uh, there, there are people who they get addicted to alcohol uh, the very first sip they take. Yep. And and you don't know why. We don't know how. We just know it's genetic. It has to do yeah. with genetic makeup, and and that leads to uh, drunkenness as, as Luke just pointed out.
1: Yeah. So, um, I I guess the, I guess the takeaway here is like, we're different sins that are really tempting for me may not be tempting for you and and vice versa. Um, but we need to realize that homosexual attraction, the, the, and even, I mean, there's also like kind of this general sense of, um, like every time I'm attracted in some sense to another woman that even that itself is not, is not, that's not a sin. And it's not even necessarily a temptation. Like, every time I, I see someone as attractive, I'm not actually tempted. Um, sometimes it's just like, uh, just kind of like a, an awareness, an acknowledgement. Um, like, I can be aware of other men who are attractive, um, like, oh, that's that's a handsome man, without feeling some sort of temptation towards that. And so I even want to say that, like, just r- having attraction to someone itself is not necessarily a temptation. Um, mm. But But sometimes we go from, like, this awareness, like, oh, a person's attract- attractive to a temptation. Even that temptation itself is not sin. It's giving into that temptation that is sin, whether that's kind of mentally through, uh, you know, lust or something like that, or through actual um, physical contact. But Christians who struggle with this sort of temptation, like all temptations, need our sympathy, our compassion, and support, That's right. not our, not our derision or our judgment or our cruel jokes. Um, that's right. That's, that, that's, that's not what we want. So, uh, all right. So number one, like we want to, we want to leave with love. Um, we also want to listen well and find out like, what, what do people actually mean? And like, if someone's like, uh, you know, I think like if you have a daughter who's like, yeah, I, I think I'm actually trans. I think I'm a boy. Well, it's like, well, what do you mean by that? Um, because sometimes what people mean by that is, well, I don't really fit well into the gender stereotypes that we've made for girls. Okay, well, that's very different. Um, like, I, I'm a I'm a male, and I certainly identify as a male. But that doesn't mean I fit into every gender stereotype of men. Like, uh, I like to talk about sports. I don't like to talk about my emotions. So that's you know that's pretty masculine uh, for me. <laughs> but but I uh, I don't love to talk about trucks, and I don't love to shoot stuff with guns. All right, so so I mean you know like it, it just. Uh, you know, all of us like fit into those categories somewhat or, or not. And so um, some of our problem has been just really kind of rigid traditional gender stereotypes, which are not helpful because it can make people think like, Oh, if I don't fit into this, like there must be something wrong with me. Maybe I'm the other thing. Um, So I do think it's important that we try to, we try to have good conversations. We try to listen well. We try to understand what the person is actually saying. Um, I also think it's really helpful. Like, so often what we want to do is say oh my goodness there's a crisis in front of me like someone has come out yes. to me or, or told me this what do i do but so often what we need to do is when it, when there's not a crisis we need to prepare ourselves and so part of it like we've got to be educated like I, I it's great that you're having a podcast on this um but i mentioned earlier uh like a lot of religious families according to mm-hmm. research are the least likely to talk about things like this at home mm-hmm. um i mean even just talking about like sex period like god's designed for yes. sex and what that looks like like we don't talk about that stuff and then also like in in the church we have not done a great job about this or if we do bring it up it's usually in a very sort of reactionary way where um maybe we're just quoting some passages to say uh you know kind of dismissively talk about how bad our country has gotten and condemn you know the quote unquote liberal agenda and you know all of this stuff that's going on. Well, um, I might agree with some of that stuff, but like, I, I don't think that's pastorally the best way to do it. Like what we should be doing is talking about God's actual design, which sounds like is something that's happening at, at your congregation, which is great. Like we should be talking about this all along. Um, we should be uh, trying to trying to help educate parents. Um, some, some things that we have done. Uh, at at my congregation, I'm not in any way saying that we have this all figured out or that we're like the model or flagship for this. But, um, I mentioned a guy before named Preston Sprinkle, um, and he's he's um a biblical scholar who you know has very solid credentials, PhD, has done a lot of work in LGBT related issues. Um, He's written a couple of books, both of which I recommend. Uh, One is on homosexuality that I mentioned before, People to be Loved. Uh, That's a great book. And then he's also written a book called Embodied, uh, subtitled Transgender Identities, the Church and What the Bible Has to Say. Uh, Preston sprinkles his name. He also has a group um, that has released uh, some curriculum um, called Christian Sexuality. And we use this with with our youth group. Uh, last year, and it was really well done. Um, very relatable, uh, very much uh, the sort of stuff that can make you know uncomfortable sorts of stuff because yes. we're not used to talking about this in church. Yes. Um, but but there's really good resources. It's like videos that are well done with discussion questions, and like for us, we split into to groups like guy guy groups and girl groups led by older mature Christians in our church, um, and they had some of these discussions. And there's there's also this entire like uh, companion. Uh, parent information that they can, that they can use at home. So it's like, they can see all the wow. same videos. And then you, they also have like devotionals at home. If parents choose to do this. So it's, it's like, you're, you're doing this at church, but you can continue the conversation at home and talk about these things. And that includes both like, you know, like God's vision for, for sexuality and what that looks like, um, includes things like, uh, same sex attraction, gender dysphoria, um, you know, pornography, masturbation, uh, digital sexuality, for lack of a better term, like, you know, the the reality of, of technology and things like that. Um, so just really very relevant stuff. Um, and that's, that's uncomfortable for us in a lot of circumstances. And, um, i'm I'm not going to say that we did that without any sort of pushback or controversy because oh, yes. that oh, that, that happened that happened some, but our our elders were totally in support of it because they know like our, our elders are aware of situations that sometimes not all members are of people who are struggling with these things and, and they know That's exactly right that this is deeply needed. and so, so we did that and, and that's a part of our, that's a part of our curriculum. Like we have a curriculum plan, like we, we don't cover that. We're not going to cover that every year, but we're going to cover it repeatedly. Like they'll get it, they'll get it a couple of times while they're in youth group. And then like we can refer back. And so even, so that was like last spring. Well, even uh, this spring we did a series where we just kind of talked about doubts and I kind of let it, I, I let students kind of anonymous, anonymously submit things that they struggle with, you know, and it was very typical stuff. Like why do why do bad things happen to good people? Um, how does prayer work? Like, why do I pray? And, mm. and sometimes, for someone to get better, and they don't get better. Um, but also, there I were questions see. related to things like um, gender and sexuality. And so, uh, I didn't stop what we were doing and do another thirteen-week series on it. But I was able to refer back to stuff that we'd done before, and I was able to do like a one-off on on those very same topics. And so, um, we try to hit it hard in our curriculum, not because not because that solves all the problems, but because we're trying to lay a foundation. And we're yes. also trying to establish with our students, like, this is not a topic that we're afraid of. Um, yes. And we, we try to provide an environment where they can talk about it, even, you know, share their own struggles. Um, but what we don't want is for them, because this, this is what we see a lot, is you'll, you'll have people who graduate from youth group. They get out into the world. Um, they're now no longer insulated from these ideas, as if they ever were, because if you have a smartphone, I mean, my goodness. Uh, Yes, but uh, they're 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 out of kind of the protective umbrella of their parents, and what becomes very easy is for them to say, "Our church, like my church, never even talked about this." So there there must not be much to say. And there is some research that Barna has done, like Generation Z. Um, How old are
0: you, Cody? I'm thirty five.
1: Okay, so uh, I'm forty. Uh, so, I'm officially what they call a geriatric millennial. That's right. Which is <laughs> basically, it's like you can't be older than me and still be a millennial. But but Gen Z, um, which.
0: But, okay, uh, hold on. Is everyone younger than you a millennial up to like uh, a certain
1: point? Up to a certain point, yeah. So, a good 46. way
0: to think of it. I say this because one of my listeners, Matt Wells, has been arguing that he's not a millennial. Matt, you're 39, <laughs> you are a millennial.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean and, and let's be clear, a lot of these a lot of these are kind of, you know, arbitrary anyway. Yeah. But a lot of times Gen Z, uh, the way that I kind of define it when I'm teaching my youth ministry class is Gen Z are people who can not remember nine eleven. Yes. Um, that, that's kind of a, a, a dividing marker. I think whatever oh, yeah. whatever the gen- generation after Gen Z is, I think it'll be people who can't remember the pandemic in any meaningful sense. I think that'll be our next oh, dividing good. point. But uh, anyway, so, so Gen Z, according to research that has that done, um, significantly that generation has kind of rejected the historic Christian sexual ethic. Yes. So it's interesting. Research indicates – That it's not so much that they have carefully considered the historic Christian sexual ethic and rejected it. It is rather that they have not been exposed to it.
0: Mm -hmm. In other words,
1: we have done a really poor job of teaching what it is that Christians have believed on this for, for 2,000 years. And a lot of that's because we just ignore it. And a lot of that's because if we do address it, it's just with a few passages that are kind of delivered in a dismissive sort of way. And again, I mean, you've already heard me say, I... Um I think those passages are important. Um and I talked about them earlier and I think that we should use those. I'm just saying, like, I think that we need to do a better job than just saying, no, it's wrong. Here's here's five random verses that say that. That's right. Um so um I, I I do think that like research shows that uh there is this great need for us to do a good job of, of teaching. Um what it actually is that Christians believe. And so we've tried to do this in our youth ministry because what I don't want is for my students to, you know, five, 10 years from now, be like, we never even talked about this in youth group. Um, I don't want them to be able to, to, to claim that because they'll say, well, basically if they walk away from historic Christian teaching on this, I want them to walk away from the right teaching. If that makes sense. That's right. Um, I don't want them to walk away from a straw man. I think that's what a lot of people are doing. Um, They're, they're, Creating a strawman of, of of Christian positions and then walking away from that. I want them to to know what what the actual thing is. So um, so that's one thing that we've done. Um, as a youth now, minister, I,
0: I I'm going to ask this because if I yep. don't, uh, a couple of my youth minister buddies will get on to me. When you teach the curriculum, the Christian sexuality yep. curriculum, yep. do you teach it differently to your seventh, eighth, and ninth graders than you do your tenth, eleventh, and twelfth graders, or do you teach it to them the same way? Uh,
1: so I do it the same way. Um, and what I'll say is, um, I, I mean, I think, I think we assume, and, and, and I live in, well, I mean, we live pretty close to one another, uh, where we live in Arkansas is not the same as like Portland, Oregon, or New York city. So we're behind on some things. I live in Searcy. I've got kids who are homeschooled. Um, and, and, and that's probably different too. However, like smartphones are the great equalizer yes, in, in, in good and horrible ways. And so – and to be clear, I've got students who don't have smartphones because I have parents who are really um, protective and hands-on about that sort of thing, and I'm grateful for that. But if you have students that go to school outside of your home and or, – or have a cell phone or um, spend – significant time consuming media uh like these are just not going to be shocking things to them for yes. the same reason you mentioned about uh whatever like goat herder or whatever it was um, <laughs> goat simulator the, goat my yeah my bad. goat simulator no, you're so like kidding. these are just these are just very common common things like it's just it's in the stream of our society and so um like, we're pretty careful about what our kids watch, but it's like yeah. PBS kids will have stuff, you know? So it's just, it's very, it's very common. So, so my point is just, um, I don't think that we should be like, oh, seventh graders, that's just super young. Well, it is super young, but it might be a couple of years actually after they needed to hear it. <laughs> um, right. because so, so what, what we did, and again, we did this in a specific format that the curriculum is heavily video based. So I'm not really doing a lot of teaching so much as I'm just kind of introducing playing videos and then. Uh, There's discussion. And so um, the way that we do stuff we have on during the school year on Wednesday nights, we have what we call cell groups, which are basically like I present a short lesson. Then we split into smaller groups and they go to their same groups week after week after week after week with the same adults week after week after week after week. So what's happened is over time and we did this in the spring. So they've been with their groups for, you know, since September and now it's, you know, March, April. So they've they've had a lot of time to build trust in their group and to build relationships with the adults who were leading those discussions, and so um, those groups uh, were able to. Um, and, and I think at that point, actually, the groups were split by age, and so it's mm-hmm. like they were having the same material, but they were having conversations with people who were roughly their same age. So it's like yep. you know those conversations were probably different amongst juniors and seniors than they were with eighth and ninth graders perhaps, but it's still the, it's still the same information. Um, right. so all that said, and, and I, you know, I thought it was handled well. It was, it was, um, good stuff. It's, um, I, I, I don't know fully. I mean, it was, it's, it's kind of interdenominational, but very mm-hmm. much upholding a Christian sexual ethic while pushing us toward love. And, and so, um, I I think it's a curriculum that makes everyone a little bit uncomfortable because what's been easy for us, I think, or what people often do is they say, okay, I'm going to choose love and I'm just going to ignore what scripture says, or they say, I'm going to choose the truth of scripture and I'm not going to be very loving. And by the way, I'm not saying that anyone is consciously doing that, but I think what we often do is like we choose between truth and love when scripture says, you know, teach the truth in love. And I sure. think that that's what this, this curriculum tries to do. And so it's been really helpful to me. Um, another another resource that I'll mention, um, actually this weekend we have uh, Dr. Keith Stanglin, who is a former Harding professor. He's now the director of the Center for Christian Studies. Um, and he's coming to do a seminar on Christian sexual ethics, very much like a um, presenting like a Christian theology of sexuality and then having sp- very um, specific conversations about things like, uh, transgender identity and uh, LGBTQ arguments and, and things like that. Um, and so th- that's kind of a, a very, within, um, within Churches of Christ, that's a, that's a, another helpful resource. And again, like we, we're, we're just trying to ex- provide resources for people of that's our hard. congregation of all age, including, including teens, including parents, including uh, people who are much older uh, to just be better informed on this. Um, and so it's like, there are people out there like like Keith who are who are um, very scholarly and can present very good information, but also do it in a winsome way um, with compassion and understanding. Um, who can also, by the way, like help church leadership consult on certain issues. Um, and uh, like I said, he's with the Center for Christian Studies, and listeners can Google that website. Um, but but they also have like they they have their own curriculum um, for adult classes, which is very much, uh, it's video based, but it it goes through this, this same sort of, same sort of thing to help us be better equipped. That's Um, so Cody, I've kind of rambled on for a while, but basically, uh, number one, I would say like, we, we have to lead with love, um, and, uh, emphasize our love for the other person over, like, we need to fix you from this problem. Number two, it's really important that as part of that we listen really well and we understand what it actually is that they're saying. Um, And as a part of that, for us to understand, like, there is a difference. Like, the Bible is condemning certain behaviors, and there's a difference between behaviors and temptations, and there's a difference between temptations and even, like, attraction. Um, And listening well enough to know what it is that the person that we're talking about is really saying. And then a a really important third thing is we try to educate ourselves a lot better and our, and our students. And and again, that doesn't, that doesn't fix everything, but no, if, but
0: it's a start.
1: It's a start. And if you have, especially, and I'm thinking now it's like, I'm a youth minister. I'm thinking of my students. If I have students who have grown up going to church their whole lives, but these things haven't been addressed and they are living in, in the world that we live in today. And then they have friends who say these things to them, like, uh, I'm actually, not a girl, I'm a guy. Well, it's really important. I mean, like, if you haven't heard specific teaching, and you kind of have a general idea, but you also know, like, hey, I'm supposed to love people. Like, it's pretty, it's pretty easy for me to see why we have so many people who are very confused. Um, because if we're not going to teach God's truth in the historic Christian perspective, well, they're still going to hear a different perspective all the time from the world. And so it's like, if we don't speak into that vacuum, like what should we expect, but for people to be deeply confused, at least from a biblical perspective on these issues? And I think that's kind of where we are. We haven't done a good job of talking about it. That's right. And so at least a first step is to try to improve that and do a better job.
0: Do you have time? We've been recording for sixty one minutes now. Uh, do you have time for one more question? uh yeah. I do. It, it's it's along the same lines of what we just asked. Um, it's from the parent's perspective. What do I do when it's my child? Because that's yeah. harder than a kid in class or someone in class or a stranger or a friend or a friend's child. Yeah. What do I do when it's my kid?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um... Well, in, in, in some ways, and, and again, I think it's really easy for us to um, want to react when there's a crisis, kind of like, oh my goodness, yes. there's a marriage that's about to fall apart. What do we do? And, and in many cases, the answer is like, well, what we needed to have done was a lot of work beforehand. That's <laughs> right. um, and so I, I don't want to ignore like, What I want to say like to all of the people who it's not my child yet, but it could be, is we need to we need to have these conversations now. And like there's so many things about that. It's like you need to be having conversations with your kids about spiritual matters consistently, ongoing. That's right. Where it's not a weird thing for people to talk about stuff.
0: From the time Um, they're toddlers. That's right, yeah, absolutely. Um
1: so we need to be constantly having these conversations. We need to um, try to develop the sort of relationship where our, our kids know that they can come and talk to us about these things and they're not going to be met with immediate dismissiveness um, or like harsh judgment or condemnation um, because that just tends to close the conversation. Like what you want is to keep the conversation going. Um, and so in some ways, again, it's like kind of like lead with love. We want, to, we want to do that. Um, we want to have, have built up a relationship where we're able to talk about these things. And if you have that sort of relationship, then it's kind of like, okay, like maybe we can talk about some of these things together. Like, What does the Bible actually say? What is it that you mean when you say this? Uh, like, what do you believe about Scripture? Because, you know, by the way, if someone's like, well, you know, I know the Bible says this, but like, I, don't even, I don't even believe in Jesus. Well, mm-hmm. frankly, that's a bigger issue. That's and right. also it, may, it means that we have we, – we don't have, at least yet, we don't have common ground to even talk about this. That's right. Um, so it's important, I think, to try to have the sort of relationship where you can have an honest enough conversation to really put your finger on what the issue is. That's right. Um, what, the, what the situation is. Um, and I think it's also important that – and, and this is kind of a big part of my general philosophy of youth ministry, we need to be doing things in such a way like as parents, um, I should have other trusted adults who are that's right. deeply connected to my kids because mentors, there are times mentors, that's right. Mentors. 100%, aunts, yeah. uncles, yes. Yes. Um, or, I mean, like, you know, like I mentioned before, like we have these cell group leaders within our youth ministry um, where we're trying to provide those same sorts of relationships. And so we we kind of need to have like a whole network of people around our kids who who we trust because the reality is my kid might not come to me, um, or if they come to me they might not really want to have a conversation with me but they might be willing to talk to someone else, um, and so I think again the, you you can't do this after the fact like if you haven't if you haven't built this network and someone and your your child comes to you you can't be like well here let me let's develop you know in a microwave real quick this great relationship with this other person who can speak truth into your life. So again that's something that has to be done um, on the front end but I think that's right. um, like there's real value in, in genuine Christian community um, and we can we can learn from one another and you know there are times where it doesn't matter how good our advice is our, our kids are maybe not ready to listen to us but they might listen to someone else um, and so those are some things that I would say um, and uh, I like I, I almost want to say like every one of these situations is different. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's not like I can just like, Hey, here's the bandaid. Here's how you fix it. And sometimes For you sure. might not fix it. Um, Cause like one of the realities uh, sometimes I think there are Christian parents um, who really beat themselves up over things like this. Like, Oh, what do we do wrong? And I think sometimes the answer is like, well, maybe nothing. And, and you know, like none of us are perfect. And like, we've all, we've all, we, we know that there are things that we could do better, but you know, there are families that'll have, several kids and and some of them will be you know uh very faithful and others end up not like you know totally walking away from faith or you might have um in in this instance you might have someone who pursues like a a different lifestyle that is contrary to you know historic christian understandings of these things um this is kind of like the mystery of of like free will and stuff right uh like god created us with the ability to to kind of make some decisions. And as parents, we try to do our best to instill values in our kids and raise them a certain way and, and have these loving um, conversations and ongoing relationships with people, even, and even if they disagree with us. Um, But at the end of the day, um, we, we kind of have to realize that we can't force our kids to do things. And um, as much as we love our kids, God loves them more. Uh, We, we, we tend to think of kids as our kids, but they're really God's kids. And he, he gives them to us to steward right. for Him. It's like a stewardship issue, and we do the best that we can, and we we trust, we entrust them to God. So at some point, it's like you know, if your kid says this to you, like, okay, well, let's do the best that we can. Let's educate ourselves as, as good as we can. Let's do everything that we can to keep a warm, loving relationship with our with our kids, um, so we can continue that conversation. Let's do our best to lovingly point them in the direction of of Christian teaching. And ultimately, right. let's entrust them to God in prayer, realizing that he's the one that can change their hearts, not us, and that he loves them even more than we do. And in his love and wisdom, created us with a free will to walk away from the true teachings of Scripture. That's and right. Like, and I haven't fully figured that out, and I never will, at least this side of eternity. But I do know that what, what God calls us to do is to do our best and not to do things we can't do. And it's like, it's, it's not your job to quote unquote fix the problem. And in fact, going back to what we said earlier, like we shouldn't even view it as a problem to be fixed. It is a person to be loved. So this is, this is a child that God has placed in my life. And my, my job is to pass, pass my faith onto them and try to raise them to follow Jesus um, while realizing that it doesn't always work out that way, despite That's our right. best intents. Um, so if I don't. You, I, yeah, okay. go ahead.
0: Well, I was, was going to say gonna... if, if you didn't know why I asked Luke Dockery, or if you've never heard of Luke Dockery, if you didn't know why I was so excited to have Luke Dockery on the podcast, <laughs> you now know, brother, for 68 minutes, you have laid out gold.
1: Uh, um, well, Spiritual if it's helped...
0: gold for people.
1: It's, it's if it's helpful, praise God. Uh, again, like oh, I really feel like I'm just gonna be stumbling through a lot of these things, but I'm about um, to go order
0: some books. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, so so just to I, I mentioned two already, uh, people to be loved by Sprinkle and embodied by Sprinkle, those are those are really good, written and, from a and the Christian perspective, the, Christian the, the curriculum, curriculum, Christian sexuality, that's good, District um, uh, staggered. T- Keith Stangland, Center for Christian Studies, Dang. and there's one other one other book that I'll mention. Um, th- this might not be for everyone. Um, for me, I am kind of a reader. I find it really helpful uh, to hear oh, a perspective <laughs> I find it really <laughs> yeah. helpful to read read perspectives from people who are not like me. Um, like Preston Sprinkle is like a biblical scholar, or some sort of pastor type. Like we have very similar worldviews on a lot of things. Um, there's a book called. Uh, Irreversible Damage by um, a woman named Abigail Schreier. She is not writing from a Christian perspective. She's actually someone who is, is pretty supportive of like trans people who, who decide to transition or, or take hormone treatments when they're adults. Um, but her book is, is very much about sounding the alarm of what we are seeing uh, as a rapid development amongst like teenage girls, yes, um, who are identifying as boys, yes, and it's 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 pretty interesting. It's, I mean, it's also heartbreaking. But historically, this is just not what we've seen when it comes to gender dysphoria. the The, the typical presentation is uh, biological males who yes. ha- have kind of showed a pattern of. Uh, non-typical masculine behavior who eventually say, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm a girl. That's that's historically what's been the case until about the last 10 years or so, maybe 15 years ago now. Um, now it's it's totally reversed, and the majority of trans cases are uh, girls, kind of like middle school, junior high age girls, girls. Um, who have not had a history of saying they identify with the opposite gender. Um, but then it kind of suddenly breaks out and often in social grouping. So it seems like there's kind of a social contagion element element to this. And that's what Schreier's talking about. And unfortunately, like in our current situation, there's a lot of um, medical support for these girls who have not shown a history of this. And then suddenly it's like within kind of a shockingly small amount of time can start, Taking hormone therapy and things like this that can have, according, this is the title of the book irreversible damage, um, long term effects that can't be undone, um, and again this is this is not coming from a Christian this is coming from a person with a secular perspective who's just saying like what let's pause and like what are we doing, um, and again like this is very controversial. Um, I, you, I'm sorry. Like just mentioning the word "social contagion" might get your podcast canceled. I apologize, but uh, oh, you the, won't get me
0: canceled. Don't worry.
1: <laughs> but 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 the reality is, um, like if you're actually willing to to kind of look at the data with an open mind, like we have to acknowledge something very different is happening in the last ten or fifteen years than what has historically occurred in these conversations, and it's happening amongst peer groups uh, that tend to be highly connected to like social media and, and stuff as well, where they're being exposed to some different things. So that's another resource. Again, that, that, one, that one's not from a pastoral perspective, but it's very much, um, if you, if you kind of like
0: yeah.
1: he- hearing things that resonate, but from people who kind of disagree with you about some significant worldview uh, items, but still you're able to see some common ground because there, there are some things going on culturally that, uh, you know, frankly, are just very concerning. Um, even to people who don't hold some of our same basic worldview notions that we have.
0: Man, that's good to know. Uh, do you have any final thoughts before we close? Um, you, you know a lot of thoughts, so you may not have any anymore.
1: <laughs> well, I, I, again, I appreciate the opportunity to be on here. I think oh, man, I,
0: I appreciate it, you coming on.
1: It's important for us, I think, to, to have... Like, just because we know what scripture teaches on this doesn't mean that we have no more to learn, um, because this is a kind of a rapidly changing conversation. Yes. Um, and uh, I, I just I think that we need to be careful and make sure um, that we don't privilege our own brokenness. And what I mean by that is, like, all of us are broken in different ways. And that's been the case since Genesis three, like page two of the Bible, you know, um. Sin entered the world and basically just messed everything up. That's right. Um, and we have touched on, uh, you know, some very sensitive topics today. And it can be easy, especially if we don't feel those things, to kind of treat these as like super special sins that that are worse somehow or that need more attention somehow. Uh, but the reality is most of us, if we don't struggle with this, we struggle with things like gossip or or greed or, uh, you know, lust or selfishness or, or all sorts of things. I think we just need to make sure that we don't try to place, um, place our own struggles in like a privileged position where it's like, well, what I struggle with is not so bad, but these other things are just, you know, way out there. The reality is they're all over the place. It's very common in our society today. And uh, the difference between people is really not my uh, my sin or my temptation versus yours, but, um, am I? are we trying to follow Jesus?
0: That's
1: right. Um, is, is that is, 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 is <laughs> a lot of times we talk about orientation in this conversation. Uh, the orientation that I want to end on is, are we oriented to follow Jesus? And if we're willing to That's do right. that, then we'll be willing to listen to scripture. We'll be willing to let scripture inform our lives. And, and that might, um, that might come into uh, demanding repentance on our sexual behaviors. But it also, it, it, if I'm trying to help someone work through that, if I'm trying to follow Jesus, I'm also going to see lots of other stuff in my own life that I need to change, even if I don't struggle with this. So, um, may, maybe, maybe a good closing point would be as we try to work with other people and love other people who are struggling with these things, it's good for us to remember, like we're all kind of like pilgrims on this journey of faith, following Jesus, uh, by the power of the spirit, hopefully being transformed in his, into his image and likeness more and more as time goes on. But, but we all struggle with sin and that should give us some humility and compassion as we seek to, to interact with other folks who maybe struggle with some things that we don't fully understand ourselves.
0: That's right. Thank you so much for listening. Luke, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Cody was
1: great. Thanks for having me on. Let's do it again sometime.
0: Absolutely. If you have any questions, you can email me at cbradford at northsidecofc.info. That's cbradford at northsidecofc.info. Once again, y'all, thank y'all so much for listening. I know you, you learned a lot and a lot to take in, but you can re really listen to it. It'll be all right. Um, and, <laughs> and remember, all things were made by him.